0: All right, we're in Exodus tonight, as we have been for the last several weeks. And we are uh, taking sort of an overview of the book of Exodus. We're hitting a lot of the high points. We're not taking it verse by verse, which is what I normally do as I uh, teach or preach through a book. Uh, But uh, we're trying to get kind of the major flow of these wonderful events that happened in this uh, great book, the book of Exodus, the book of going out when God delivered his people out of Egyptian slavery. So I hope you've been with us on these Wednesday nights. Invite some other folks to come with you, and we'll just continue to have a good old time studying the Word of God. All right, tonight we are looking at this subject, how God provides for his people. And We're going to look at five different episodes or five different scenes in these several chapters here that we're looking at, beginning in about the middle of chapter 15 and going through the end of uh, chapter 18. So how does God provide for His people? Aren't you glad that He does? He provides in many different ways. We're going to look at a few of them here tonight and uh, use these scriptures to help us understand more and just worship the Lord more for His, really, His goodness to His people. So let's look. All right, point number one in your outline is this. God turns your bitterness into abundance. God turns your bitterness into abundance. So let's look at uh, chapter 15, starting at verse 22. And Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained. The word there means murmur. They murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, Give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. So, when we look at this passage, we see what's going on here. The children of Israel have been delivered out of Egyptian slavery, they uh, were delivered through the Red Sea. Then they turned around and watched as God brought the waters back uh, over the uh, Egyptian army. And all of those people in the Egyptian army, including their horses, drowned in the Red Sea. And now they're traveling on, beginning their journey on toward the promised land. That's going to take them a long time to get there. They don't know that then. We know it because we've got all the Bible. They didn't know all that at this point. It's going to take them a long time to get to the promised land because of their disobedience. But they are beginning that journey, and and, uh, the first place that they get to Uh, after all of these things happened that we just looked at in chapter 14 and 15, where God delivered them, is that they needed water. They came out three days journey from Egypt, and now they needed water. By the way, when the first time uh, that uh, Moses went in to talk to Pharaoh to say, let my people go, the Lord says, let my people go. He says, let them go for a three days journey so we can worship him. So now here they are three days out of Egypt, and what do they find? they find no water. So they're thirsty. They need something to drink, but they do come to a lake, a place that does have water. Somebody tested the water and the water was too bitter to drink. And so they begin to complain to Moses, Moses, what are we going to drink? We don't have any water. We've, we've run out of all the water we brought with us from Egypt. And now we get to a place here that is, that has water, but the water is bitter. So Moses what are we going to do? So what does Moses do about it? He, he does what you and I ought to do when we're up against a problem, and that is he took it to the Lord. He goes immediately to the Lord and says, Lord, what are we going to do? Did you catch that here in verse 25? He cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet, and there he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. So here is, the, is really a major test for the Israelites uh, right after they've come out of Egypt. And that is, are they going to trust God or not? Here's the test. Here's water. The water is bitter. But now Moses cries out to God. God shows him a tree. He takes that tree, cuts it down, takes that tree, and puts it in the water. And the water is no longer bitter. The water turns from bitter to sweet. Now the people have water to drink. Now they can uh, uh, have something to drink that will be sweet and not bitter. So what does this teach us about the ways of God and also the ways of people? Aren't we real uh, easily uh, persuaded? Sometimes we don't even need persuasion to complain. God had done all of these miraculous things for them, getting them out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, defeating their enemies, and so on. And now, right away, they begin to complain. We're like that, aren't we? Anybody in this room ever complain? I think we probably do. And so, here's a good lesson for us. What do we do? What should we do? Sometimes God puts things in our path like this to test us. That's what this is. This is a test for the people of God. Are you going to trust the Lord or not? What did God tell Moses to do? Take a tree. Put the tree in the water, the water will turn from bitter to sweet. Doesn't it remind you of another tree where the Lord Jesus hung 2,000 years ago and the bitterness of our sin was made to be forgiven and our lives now can be sweet because of the, of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on that cruel tree that was sung about uh, so wonderfully just a few moments ago. Here is Moses saying to them, here's God teaching them, the principle and the truth that we need to trust God. What was it about the tree? Was it a special tree? Was there there something magic about the tree? No, it was that God wanted him to trust them. This was a matter of faith. This was God working a miracle on behalf of his people so that they would trust him. Now, the waters were bitter. The waters also spoke of the experience that the Israelites had had for 400 years in Israel. It was bitter for them. In fact, part of the meal that they ate, that Passover meal that they ate on Passover night included bitter herbs, and those herbs were to remind them of the bitter experience that they had had in slavery. Now, they're out of Egypt. Now, they're in this place called Shur, and here is the uh, water called Mara, bitter, and now... They can't drink the water until it's made sweet. May I tell you this? I believe this is what God is teaching his people here in this passage. this This bitterness that they had was to be left behind. Even as they had left Egypt, so the bitterness that was in their heart was to, leave, was to be left behind. Egypt in the Bible sometimes speaks to us of hell. It speaks to us of the punishment for sin. And so when they are out of Egypt now, what God is saying to them is, I have delivered you from Egypt. I have delivered you from the bitterness of slavery. Now what I want to do is deliver you so that your life will not continually be characterized by bitterness, but you'll look at what's happened and realize you have been redeemed and your life now is sweet because of the presence of God with you and because of what he did in your life. God had gotten his people out of hell. Now he wants to get the hellish attitudes out of them. Amen. So drink the water that was bitter, but is now sweet. And then he says to them, look at verse the uh, end of verse twenty five, there he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them and said, If you diligently hear the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. This is one of the compound names of God. I am the Lord who heals you. This is Jehovah Rapha. And uh, many of us pray through the names of God, the the covenant names of God regularly, as I do. I'm sure that many of you do. Um, Jehovah Jireh, I'm the Lord who provides for you. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals you. And I've been praying this verse and this particular uh, truth about the Lord in light of this COVID stuff that's been going on now for over a year. God says, I'm the Lord who heals you. He also says, I'm the Lord who will not put diseases on you. So I pray that God would keep us from being sick. God says, you just walk with me. No, that doesn't mean if you've gotten sick that you're not walking with God. But I'm just saying that this is what I'm praying, that God, you told your ancient people that if they would walk with you and, and, and uh, follow your commandments, that you would put none of the diseases on them that you put on the Egyptians. And I'm just praying, God, asking him to heal us and also asking him, in particular for me and for Becky and for our church family, that none of us would get sick. Then look at verse... Uh, 27 we've seen uh, point number one, God turns your bitterness into abundance. Mara means bitterness. Look, though, at verse 27, then, then they came to Elam, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. So they camped there by the waters. Here they come to Elam. It's not far from where they were at Mara. But you see the abundance that God has for them? These waters were already sweet. They didn't have to be changed from bitter to sweet. There's 12 wells of water. How many tribes of Israel were there? Twelve. So each tribe could have their own well. And there were 70 palm trees. 70 is a wonderful number, one of the numbers of completion in the Bible. And so they had 70 palm trees. There was plenty of shade for folks to sit around under the shade when they needed it. Now, there was 2 million people. I don't know that everybody had shade all the time, but maybe they had some kind of rotation system so that, uh, you know, tribe, uh, 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 one tribe could go, stay for a while, another tribe. But anyway, God's abundance was right there across the hill Close close by to where they were. And God always provides abundance for His children. Some people say, Well, I've just got barely enough to get by. Well, if that's all you've got, then you've got enough. God will provide you with what you need and often with abundance so that you can give to others as well. And so, God turns your bitterness into abundance. Now, secondly, point number two, God satisfies your hunger. God satisfies your hunger. Now, they leave this area of Elam and they travel on uh, a a good distance on from there and uh, they get to a uh, place called In verse 1 of chapter 16, the wilderness of sin, the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. Look at verse 2. The whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Now, they've been gone from Egypt about six weeks by this time, and now they're already saying, I wish we'd died in Egypt. Our life is just too hard. When we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, isn't that just like complaining people? Also, these folks really don't know the Lord yet. Not really, do they? I mean, they don't have a Bible like we have. So we've got a lot of advantages over them. But they're in the process of learning more about what God is like. And for us to look back on that and say, well, that's just the craziest thing in the world for them to say, and it was. But well, let's don't be too hard on them because we've got a lot more truth than they had. And sometimes we still complain, don't we? And so the whole children, they complained against Moses and Aaron. It'd be better if we were back in Egypt. We just should have just stayed there and we could have died there by, because we, at least we had food to eat. And look at verse 4. This is the verse I want to focus on. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them. Now see, we had a test at Marah. Now we've got a test now about the manna, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. How does God satisfy your hunger? Well, I've got two things for you there. First of all, he satisfies your physical hunger. Look again, he says in verse 4, I will rain bread from heaven for you. This is manna. Uh, This was, uh, and God spends some additional time in chapter 16 telling them exactly what they are supposed to do. They are to go out every morning and to pick up the manna that is on the floor, uh, on the ground, rather, the, the desert uh, floor. They're to go out every morning and pick it up. They're to go uh, six days, not on the Sabbath day. They're to go out six days every morning to pick up manna. They, did, they didn't know what to call it. They'd never seen it before. So do you know what the word manna means? It means, what is it? What is it? Because they didn't know what it was. What is this? Well, the Bible tells us it was round and white and uh, tasted a little bit like coriander seed, which is an herb. And also, it tasted a little bit like honey. So God was providing this food for them every morning. They didn't have to go to the grocery store, if there was one, and shop for it. They didn't have to go out hunting and kill any animal to have food. God brought the food to them. All they had to do was leave their tent every morning, go out early in the morning, pick up the manna, they pick up about two quarts per person in their uh, tent that they were living in, and that was enough for one day. They were to pick up enough only for one day. If If they got more than that, and they saved some of it till the next day, then it had worms in it. And so this was God teaching them that they needed to trust Him every day for their food. And that's still a lesson and a truth that you and I need to live by every day. Does God provide food for us every day? Well, He certainly does. You don't have to go out in the yard and pick up manna every morning. You may have a freezer full of food, or you can go to the grocery store and get whatever. But God provides food for us, as well as many other things, clothes and water and and uh, friendship and uh, family. He He just provides over and over again. But the point I'm trying to make here is, first of all, that God provides physical food for his children, but also he provides spiritual food for his children. Look at the end of verse four here. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. So here, not only is he feeding them physically, he is testing them and feeding them spiritually. Are you going to obey God or not? How was that that he was testing them? Well, that they were to go every day and pick it up, except on the seventh day, they were to get enough on the sixth day for two days. And in that case, what they saved for the seventh day would not have worms in it, And all of this was the miraculous provision of God. And so he was testing them to see whether, number one, they would go out every day and get it. Number two, would they get enough for two days on Friday to have enough for Sabbath, Saturday, the seventh day? Or would they go out on the Sabbath day and try to pick some up? And some people did. And so they felt the wrath of God because of that. Uh, others tried to get more than they needed for one day of the week, and so it was wormy the next day. So God was testing them, and it really is a test of their faith. You know, they walk out, and they see huge amounts of manna. And so they, they might be tempted to say, especially on the first day that they see it, I better get a lot of this because there's a lot of it here. No! Get enough for today for your family. And that's all. And there'll be enough tomorrow for your family. Go out tomorrow and get what you need tomorrow. The manna came at night when the dew was on the ground. If they didn't get it early in the morning and the sun came out, it would melt away. So there was a small window that they had to go out and get their manna. All of this was training them to trust God this was food for them but also food for their soul also i want you to hold your place here for a minute and turn with me over to the book of deuteronomy and we're going to look in deuteronomy chapter 8 at verses 2 and 3 because here is moses and this is many years later now looking back on their experience in the wilderness deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2 He's trying to help them remember what God did for them. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you. Now we've seen those two of those already to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So what was God teaching them? He was teaching them that when they go out every day and pick up that manna, they were to enjoy the the provision that God gave them physically, but they were also to learn that this bread was a picture of his meeting their needs spiritually. You shall not live by bread alone. This bread is good. This bread is provided for you. But here's what you really need. You really need the Word of God. And if you will see this as a test, and if you will believe me that every day that you go out there, there will be manna for you, enough for your family, then what you're going to be learning is that you shall not live by bread alone. You need the bread, but not alone. You need the Word of God. God's command was to go out and get it, bring it back in. Are you learning that? Are you learning that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every Word of God? You and I need the Word of God. We need to take in the Word of God. We need to receive the Word of God. We need to meditate on it. We need to memorize it. We need to think about it. We need to hear it preached and taught. We need to share it with other people. We must. In fact, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, you know one of the verses that uh, he used when Satan came and said to him the first time, "See these stones, make these stones become bread." And Jesus said, "Man shall not live. It is written. "Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God." And so you and I need also to learn these valuable lessons or To be reminded of them. You say, well, Joe, I learned that a long time ago. Good. I'm glad you did. Really, seriously. But look, don't we need to be reminded sometimes? And it it, uh, helps us to remember uh, that God is a God who does test your faith. Any, Any faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. So know that God is going to test your faith. And know that as you pass the test... He will give you another test in a different area. So, point number one, point number two. Now we're all the way to point number three. Let's see how we're doing. All right. We're doing all right. Point number three. God gives graciously even though we sin. God gives graciously even though we sin. Let's look at chapter 17 now. This is the story about God providing water. When they needed water again, they he provided water from the rock verse uh, 17 the children the congregation of uh, the children of israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin and according to the commandment of the lord camped in rephidim and there was no water for the people to drink you see a theme here again god is testing them he's going to see whether they're going to trust him or not therefore the people contented or uh, contented That is the word which means quarreled with Moses. Before they murmured, now they're getting braver. They're not just murmuring, they are complaining and quarreling with him. And said, give us water, Moses, to drink, that we may drink. Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. People complained to Moses. And look at verse 4, Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with his people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and uh, take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the rod which you, with which you struck the river and go. The same rod that he also used at the, at the Red Sea. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So here we see that God is providing again for them water from the rock, even though they were sinning against God. Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? So God blesses his children, even though we sin. Now, now, that's not an excuse to sin. In fact, Paul dealt with that in the book of Romans very clearly when he was talking about people who say, well, you know, if, if, I, if I get more grace and God is glorified because of my sin, then I can just continue to sin because I know he'll forgive me. And if he forgives me, that gives more glory to him. So why not just sin so that the grace of God would abound? No, no, no. That's the wrong way to look at it. God does give us grace when we sin, but he also wants us not to sin. He also wants us, when we do sin, to repent and not to keep on in, a attitude, in an attitude or a lifestyle of sin. So we get water from the rock. Look at verse 6. I will stand before you. You strike the rock and water will come out. This also, by the way, he, God provided this water for them, but it's also a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is that rock that was struck, and that is found, uh, I won't take time to read it tonight, but if you want to write this down, First uh, Corinthians chapter 10, is it in your notes? Okay. Then, okay, good. and You don't have to write it down. It's already there for you. So, water from the rock, it's talked about by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that this is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ who provides for his children. And then, uh, look at uh, letter B under point number three, a warning from the Lord. Notice again in verse seven, or we, didn't, we didn't read this yet, so let's look at this. So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? The word Masa there means contention. The word Meribah means tempted. And so these two uh, names were given to this episode in the history and the life of ancient Israel. This episode is referred to also uh, in, in other places in the Bible. I think I've written this down for you as well, Psalm 95, verses 8 and 9. The psalmist refers back to this and says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as they did at Massah and Meribah. Hebrews chapters 3 and 4 refer back to that as well. In fact, three different times the writer of Hebrews says in those two chapters today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. The problem that they had at Massah and Meribah was that they hardened their heart. God had spoken to them. God had provided for them, but their hearts were hard. Listen to me, friend. Today, I'm speaking to all of us right now. Tonight, If you hear the voice of God, if He is speaking to your heart tonight, do not harden your heart. The longer a person hardens their heart against the things of God, the easier it will become for that person not to be able to hear the voice of God. Do not harden your heart. Let your heart be soft toward the Lord so that His Word will find a place to root in your heart and bring forth fruit in its season. God gives graciously, even though we sin. Again, not an excuse to sin, but a reason to thank God for his mercy and grace. And then continuing on in this chapter, we see point number four, that God assures our ultimate victory. Let's look now at verse 8 of chapter 17. Now, Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. The Amalekites were descendants of Esau, and you remember your Bible history. There's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and he had a brother named Esau, and the Amalekites were descendants of Esau. Now, Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim, and Moses said to Joshua, this is the first time you'll find Joshua mentioned in the Bible, right there. Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Here's the rod of God again. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this. "...for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is My Banner. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation." Now, this is a great, great story. Many wonderful truths here. Let me just pick out two or three of them here. God tells, uh, well, God instructs Moses. Moses says to Joshua, Tomorrow you're going to fight the Amalekites. Take some, some of the best soldiers. Now, the Amalekites had come up behind Israel and ambushed them or came up behind them to attack them from the rear. And this is one of the reasons that God's judgment fell so hard on Am- on the Amalekites. But Moses said, "Joshua, here's the plan. You get some men, you go down into the valley, and you fight the Amalekites, and I'm going to go up on a mountain with my rod in my hand and I'm going to pray." And so, here's what's happening. Moses, along with Aaron and Hur, are up there with him. And Joshua and his men are in battle against the Amalekites in the valley. Now, both of those men and what they did were essential to what happened. Joshua had to fight the battle. But Moses was the reason that Joshua and the Israelites prevailed. Because as long as Moses was holding up the rod, which was a symbol of God's power and of his, of his desire to answer prayer, as long as Moses could hold up that rod, then the Israelites were winning the battle below. But as Moses' arms grew weary and tired, and they went down, then the Amalekites started winning the battle. So that's why Joshua and her stand beside, or not Joshua, but um, Aaron and her stand there next to him, They bring a rock so that he can sit on it, and then they hold his arms up. And as long as Moses held up his arms with that rod in it, then the people prevailed. The Israelites prevailed. So it took both. What does it take to live a victorious Christian life? Well, it takes prayer, which is symbolized by Moses on the mountain. And it also takes being in the battle. When you became a Christian, you may not have realized it, but you signed up for the war. We're in a spiritual battle, and you and I have to be engaged in it. We must be. If you're not, the devil will get after you, and, and you'll realize you have to be. He'll get after you even if you are in the battle, in fact, more if you are in the battle. So it's spiritual warfare that we are in, and we have to have on the whole armor of God, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, feed shot of the preparation of the gospel of peace, taking the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the evil one, put on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, then to watch and pray and speak as the Lord leads us to. We need the full armor of God, but we've got to be in the battle. And God here is giving us a picture of victory. He said there will be war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. And it took generation after generation after generation for finally the Israelites to defeat the Amalekites. They defeated him here in battle, but they did not ultimately defeat them until hundreds of years later when we are told in 1 Samuel chapter 30 that David, when he is king of Judah, finally, with his army, defeats the Amalekites. And that is a picture of the Christians' ultimate victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. One of these days, every enemy that you and I face will be finally done away with. Sin and death and hell all of that will finally be done away with. Devil will be cast into the lake of fire and uh, along with the prophet and the false uh, the false prophet and the beast and all of that in chapter 20 of Revelation. But one of these days all of those enemies are going to be finally and fully dealt with, but you and I now until we're either called home or the Lord comes to get us, we're going to be in the battle. But do not despair. The world is going crazy as crazy or crazier as I've ever seen in my lifetime. But look, we're on the winning side. So trust the Lord. Learn. Be a faithful follower of Jesus. Do not be discouraged. Walk in faith. Know that whatever may happen, God is in control, and He is working all things according to the counsel of His own will. So you and I, as followers of Jesus, have already won the victory, but we will experience the fullness of it more as time goes on. We are more than conquerors through Him who loves us. All right, now then, let's go finally, and my time is gone, to... Chapter 18, point number 5, God sends wise people to help. Jethro, who is Moses' father-in-law, came and brought Moses' wife and his two sons with him. They'd been there with uh, Jethro back in Midian. They come to where Moses is. They find him. Jethro observes what's going on. And all these people are bringing their complaints every day to Moses. And he's holding court and deciding who's right and who's wrong. And Jethro said, hey, son, you need to do something different. He advised him to to teach the word, teach and train the people, and have various levels of folks who can listen with wisdom to the complaints and settle cases that are easy. But the cases that are harder and most difficult, you be the Supreme Court. And they'll appeal until they get up to you. So Moses did that. And it uh, worked out well. This was a wise word of a counsel that, that uh, Jethro gave to, to uh, Moses. And it worked out well. You and I, we need the wisdom of wise people. We need the counsel of people who've walked on the trail longer than we have. Who uh, have had more or different experiences than we have had. You never get too old to need a mentor or to need wisdom or counsel from someone who can help you, or at least hear what's going on in your life and pray with you about it. So I hope you've got people in your life like that, or I hope you're, and I hope also you are like that to other people who will come to you and say, I really need your prayer, I really need help, tell me, tell me what I can do, or your opinion, or share with me the Word of God to give me help in this situation. We all need help, but there ought to come a point in our lives where we can begin to share with others what God has done to us and for us. In fact, we ought to be able to do that pretty soon after we get saved because after you get saved, you've got a testimony, and you can share that with somebody. You may not know the Bible real well, or you may not know the Lord real well, but you know Him, and you can share what you know.